I should remind myself of this because all the nonsense talk about double bathing and all this other stuff. I said, look, Native Americans, frontier people killed a lot of deer to survive. And those people showered once a month if you're lucky. Your grandpa didn't have camo on. He was standing there with a plaid jacket on. Exactly, right. Smoking, right. right? (laughs) Had his his Elmer Fudd outfit on. Welcome to Thriving the Future podcast, where we're finding positive solutions to thrive in the tough times ahead. Welcome back to Thriving the Future. In this episode, it's deer season. So I sit down to talk with my friend Dave about how did we get our first deer? What gear do we use? What tips do we use? And then we share some funny stories of our hunts, including how I got stuck up in a tree. So Monday deer hunting season starts. And the last two years, we haven't gone out until the first weekend of October. Sounds about right. Yeah, because it's just been too hot. Yeah. Right. Plus leaves, right? Can't see anywhere. But for the first couple of weeks, we don't get up in the tree because there's too many leaves. So we got to sit in the ground. Sometimes it's almost a disadvantage, right? Because once you get up into the canopy, yeah. you're trying to look through layers of leaves. Yeah. Where if you stay down closer to the trunk, you're underneath everything, but you still have bushes and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, until you get a good freeze or whatever. Yeah. And the leaves start falling off. You can't, you don't have any shooting light. Right. Right. But I mean, but I think I think you you have seen over the last few years, right? Just the evolution of hunting in general. As you get better as a hunter, the distance between you and the and the the prey closes. Mm-hmm. Like I remember the first couple of years when I hunted, if I got within 150 yards of a deer, you know, I thought I was a, a woodsman, yeah. right? And I was like, oh my god, I got to within 150 yards. <laughs> and, and I remember the very first deer I ever killed. There was a cornfield in North Carolina. And it had this big old oak tree out kind of in the middle of it, and it sloped down into the woods. Uh-huh. Back then, I didn't know anything about hunting. I right. didn't grow up with anybody. Nobody taught me how to hunt. And, and so, basically, my hunting was limited to the edges of fields because that's the only place I knew I could see deer. Sure. Because I wasn't good yet at getting into the woods and uh-huh. reading sign and seeing trails and, and setting up, you know, in, in, actually in the woods. So, I had an old M14 clone. That's all I could afford. It was right, a cheap Chinese right. knockoff, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And an old pair of Marine Corps camis and a piece of military netting. And, and that was like, I would literally just put it over my head, mm-hmm. like, a, like, a, like a blanket, kind of. Yep. And because it was mesh, I could kind of look through it, right? Sure. And I remember sitting against this pine tree, or this, uh, this oak tree, looking out down the edge of a field at about 150, 160, 75 yards away. And I saw a couple of deer come out. And it probably maybe only the third or fourth time I ever even seen a deer. And I thought I was just a ninja because I, they were like 150 yards yeah. away. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I'm so awesome at this. And I remember trying to get my rifle out from underneath the cami netting and it's getting hooked on everything. And I'm trying to, and it's an iron sight, it's a terrible rifle for, for hunting. <laughs> and, uh, and I shot this deer and it runs off into the woods and I start looking for it. And I didn't know to wait, right? I just like yeah. immediately, I, I probably sprinted after it like I was going to tackle it. Sure. And so uh, I'm, sun's kind of starting to go down because it's about 4.30. And I'm looking around, I'm looking around, and I can't find this thing. And I'm not exaggerating. I damn near tripped over it. I, yeah. I literally almost backed, like my heels touched it almost. And I almost fell backwards over it because once they get on the ground, they blend in. They're hard to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, we've walked uh, right up on them before and... Yeah, missed but, them. But think think about 
how you hunt today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll have deer walk right underneath you, right past you, yeah. and they won't even know you're there. Mm-hmm. And you know, and I think about how you and I both hunt, where easily within five, six, seven yards of of these very amazing animals. Yeah. Where when you first started, if you even saw one, just a fleeting glimpse of one, you were like, yeah, that's a win, right? Right. And like I said, I saw these things at 150 yards, and I'm like. I'm the best hunter in the world, right? <laughs> now, if I see one at 150 yards, I'm like, eh, I'll wait till it gets a little closer. I'll, I'll figure it out then, right? And yeah. you know, and, and I, what was the what was the longest shot in the last few years, right? Because you've taken quite a few deer in the last few years. You know, what was the longest shot you probably took? 30, 35 yards. I don't it's, usually shoot over 30 yards. Exactly. It's, it's now to be clear here, because a lot of people find this funny that. In Kansas, we have we use crossbows, and they don't allow that in some other places. So you know we've got archery season that goes from September 12th all the way to the end of the year, and then there's some extended season and stuff. So most of our hunting, except for that 10 days of rifle, is crossbow. Yeah. Yeah, and you use the other bow too, right? Some years I do, some years I don't. I, I've you been, want to? Use I admit, the other right? Yeah. So one. I got addicted to the crossbow when they first came out. Yeah, it's a funny it's, story. It's like. It's like night and day. Right. Like when I when I first moved to Kansas, crossbows were for disabled people only. Oh, really? And Oh, yeah, yeah. And and you could use one if you were disabled, and it mm-hmm. makes sense. And I've always wanted a crossbow because, like, what red-blooded American kid doesn't want a crossbow? Heck, they're awesome. Yeah. yeah. And and But they're, exp- they're expensive. Yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, as much as I want a crossbow, I can't justify five, six, seven hundred dollars for something that essentially is just going to be a target shooting device sure. because you can't hunt with it. Mm-hmm. And I remember this vividly. I was at Cabela's because, you know, hunters love to spend money on junk they don't need. Sure. And it was kind of right before hunting season. And I was in line buying probably like scent shampoo or something like that, scent, like scent killer. Right. And like every guy in line had a crossbow. Uh-oh. And so I kind of looked around and I was like, they must be having like some kind of sale. I, I'm usually I don't like to talk to strangers, but I, I grabbed the guy in front of me and I said, hey, I said, uh, I said, why is everybody buying crossbows? And he said, oh, didn't you hear? Can just change the regulation. Effective this year, you can hunt with a crossbow during archery season. <laughs> you ran right back. I there. ran right back. I was like, finally, <laughs> I have an excuse to buy a crossbow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so I ran right back and I grabbed one and I, the guilt immediately faded because I could actually use it. Right. And uh, and prior to that, never a tree guy i was always a ground guy sure i love the mobility of it right i love being able to go oh this spot doesn't work i'll go over here i'll go over there okay. and back then i was not a great hunter so most of the spots didn't work well right? a lot of the trees around here out at the lake you know they're they're branchy and they're scraggly and everything else oh right? yeah for sure right but you know but like but, but when you're a bad hunter most of your spots end up being not great spots because mm-hmm. you don't really know where to sit down you sure. don't know where to go right so i'd sit down by a tree i'd look an hour or two later, I'd go, well, this spot isn't very good. I'll move somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Not realizing it wasn't the spot that was no good. It was the, the guy picking it, right? Yeah, right. And Sitting on the ground is hard for me. And so, and so yeah. And so, but I was always hunting with a gun, mm-hmm. right? When I would normally go out in the woods, it was a, with a standard compound bow. And I honestly just used it as an excuse to hunt before rifle season. Sure. So I'd go out in November. I'd have a bow in my hand. And I was kind of looking around, scouting. But I wasn't really seriously hunting. And the guy I worked for at the time, a guy named Don, expert hunter, probably has 
five, six, seven Boone and Crockett entries. Really? And oh yeah, he was. A, he won't even shoot anything if it's if he doesn't think it's going to be a Boone and Crockett qualifying deer. He won't even look yeah, at. Yeah, meaning mega rack with exactly super lots of points and everything else. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like he'll he'll let a twelve point walk without even thinking twice. You're kidding, really? No, no. He he he's a serious trophy hunter. And I worked for the for the guy for for a decade probably, and he was a great guy. And he always used to tell me, he's like, he'd go, Dave. He's like, you got to get off the ground. You got to get in a tree. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, Don, I don't want to get in a tree. I go. It's limiting. Once you're there, you're kind of stuck and sure. climbing down is a pain in the butt. I said, I don't want to do that. And so a couple times I would actually see, one time I remember I had a really nice buck walking towards me, sitting in the woods, and I saw him before he saw me. And when he got about maybe 20, 25 yards away, as soon as I made that big drawing motion with my compound, that motion, their peripheral vision is yeah. excellent. It's too much motion. He busted me immediately. Mm-hmm. And he looked at me and I was at full draw. I, yeah, I can't even imagine. And he took off. Yeah. I, I, there's no way I'd be able to do that without getting busted. I got zero deer on the ground in the four or five, six to seven years I was, quote, trying to hunt with a bow. So finally one day I said, all right, you know what? Maybe Don knows something. I'm going to buy a tree stand. Mm-hmm. Bought the tree stand. The very first morning I took it out. I climbed up in a tree with it. I'm sitting there and I see a bunch of does come walking out of the woods. One of them parked right underneath me. Yeah. Stood there eating for five, 10 minutes and mm-hmm. had no idea I was there. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, I guess getting up a tree is the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, they never see the draw motion. You, you, you're up out of their eyesight. Sure. And it was, but, but the crossbow is a game changer. Because right. now with a crossbow, there's no draw. Mm-hmm. You, all you gotta basically do is get it from your lap tiny bit of motion to get it to your shoulder. And I mean, and, and you know, probably in the last five or six years, I've killed 10 plus deer all inside of 30 yards right. with a crossbow from the ground. Yeah, my first deer in 2019 was underneath my stand eating acorns. And I had no idea you were there, right? No, and then I, I finally was starting to kind of freak out because it was underneath me, it was a doe. And then uh, it looked up at me through the grate, mm-hmm. and it walked like five yards and stopped. Didn't couldn't figure out what I was, and then it moved just enough out from underneath my stand that I was able to shoot it. Yeah. And that was the first one. Amazing feeling, though, isn't it? Uh huh. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden you're like, hey, I know how to do this because I know in the last few years, kind of you keep a logbook, but you've seen a ton of deer. Uh huh. Right. You've probably seen more deer than I have. Yeah, and what's funny is I don't go out. Uh, there's only like two times a year that I go out in the afternoon. Almost all the time I go out in the morning. Where you go out in the afternoon and you get you get afternoon deer. But then the problem is you're like, they pop out right before dark or they pop out right before the end of shooting light. <laughs> right. And then you're looking for them in the dark or even worse, you have to come back the next morning and try and find, number one, where you were at and then find the blood trail that's sort of dried and not as... Uh, luminescent or whatever and then uh, and then try and find it how many times have have we gone out the next morning and then had to go tracking the deer yeah you know well i mean that one spot we went to last year right so hit that one right at sunset to your point mm-hmm. and by the time you get out you know get the cart get him out get him clean get, it's, it's getting late right yeah it's and then dark. to your point that next day you went and helped me get that one out of there which i think turned into a couple mm-hmm. and uh but you know same thing it's just like I, uh, I actually prefer getting them in the morning. It's funny, probably the first 10 years I hunted, 
all my deer success was in the evening. I didn't even mm-hmm. see deer in the morning. Didn't even see them in the morning. And I don't know if it was a combination of, I just, I just didn't know what they were doing in the morning. I wasn't finding the right spots. I was making too much noise in the dark, whatever it was. Sure. But somewhere in the middle of my hunting career, the next 10 years, it shifted. I was almost exclusively getting deer in the morning, mm-hmm. which you think is a little bit of a self-fulfilling kind of a prophecy because, well, obviously, if you got a deer in the morning, you're not hunting in the evening, right? So mm-hmm. so there's no reason to be in the woods at, at nightfall because you had success in the, in the morning. Sure. So there was years where I didn't get any deer in the evening. I was getting them all in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and in the last few years, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag, some in the morning, some in the evening. Yeah. Right? But... Uh, yeah, yeah, there was there was one I think last year where you got one at dark, and by the time you hauled it out of the woods and brought it over to my house, it was at nine o'clock at night. Yeah, it makes for a long day. Yeah, right. Because you think about, it, I mean, I mean, if you're a hunter, you're getting up two, three, four in the morning, whatever it sure. is, depending on your drive and and that kind of stuff, and then. And then now here it is, 8, 9, 10 o'clock at no, night. No, wait a minute. You said 2, 3, 4 in the morning. So sun comes up at 6.30 right now. Shooting lights half an hour before that. We like to get in the tree an hour before shooting light, usually. So right there, you're at 5. Yeah. Plus setup time, plus driving time. It takes a good, oh, it takes 20 to 30 minutes to get all your gear out of the yeah. car to get changed because we don't we don't change and go out there in our hunting clothes yeah right and then get sprayed down and that's one of the keys especially when you're doing bow is is to get that scent protection taken care of yeah right? and that, that's a great point like so for people listening that you know they don't understand what you mean when you say sprayed down right spraying yourself with scent killer basically or, yeah. or you know the and you were saying lock. earlier before we started that you take two showers Take two showers, right? I have two different, two different scent-free detergent, you know, uh, specially designed for hunters, uh-huh. and so I don't trust either of them to work by themselves. <laughs> and so I, but I figure in combination they work pretty well. Mm-hmm. So I do a full body wash with one, rinse off, do a full body wash with the other. Everything I wear was was pre-washed, set aside. In, in, in a you know an airtight bag or a container obviously nothing scent free mm-hmm. so it f- so funny comment but uh, I tell my wife starting in September she's not allowed to wear perfume right really oh yeah like like no like we agree and I, I that sounds bad when I say I tell my wife right because obviously she's kind of the <laughs> boss of the house anybody that knows my wife knows that she's the boss of the house but what I ask is that she stops using perfume. You know, starting in September. So it doesn't get in the car or so? I don't, so it doesn't get anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, you pick it up anywhere and, and perfume is a very strong scent. It's hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And so I'll usually take my hunting clothes somewhere around maybe mid-September. I'll do my first wash, throw them into a Rubbermaid container. I'll usually grab a few branches from the oak tree out front, mm-hmm. throw some branches in there, right. seal it, let that oak scent kind of get it get it in you know and that's where they'll stay Mm -hmm. a few days before the first hunt i take my tree stand i take all that stuff i throw it all out in the grass i take the safety harness and all that stuff i i weave it into the branch like over the branches spray it all down and let it sit there in the oak tree for a day or two yeah i throw it in the leaves yeah exactly so you get all that stuff going on Mm -hmm. long month before that you switch to the you know, scent-free detergent, all that good stuff. 
you know, no cologne, no anything, like all that stuff gets eliminated. I switch over to the Hunter's deodorant, the scent-free right. deodorant, mm-hmm. so get rid of the, you know, the, the Gillette or whatever I'm using during <laughs> the rest of the year. And uh, because, yeah, because you know, and, and, and a lot of people listening know, the nose will bust you before anything. Yeah. Deer, you know, being, being on the right side of the wind when it comes to deer hunting and, and having that, that scent-free environment is, is that, that's going to single, that'll be the single biggest thing that makes or breaks the success of your hunt. Yeah, so that's hardcore because you got to have all your stuff. Um, you have gloves on when you're putting your, your clothes on out at the, out at the lake. Or wherever you're hunting, right? Hunting I have area. dressing gloves, which are like rubber dishwashing gloves. Yeah. And then I have my walk-in gloves, which are scent lock, scent uh-huh. absorbing gloves. Clothes, yeah. And then I have my hunting gloves. So when I first park, I use my, my rubber made rubber dishwashing gloves to get dressed, <laughs> which I spray down with the scent sure. killer, right? Sure. Then I peel those off like I'm some sort of surgeon that just yep. finished a five-hour surgery. Yeah, I do right? that too. Yep. I don't use dishwashing gloves, but I use... Um, use those, those nitro gloves. Yeah, they use yeah. those nitro gloves, yeah. And then so you get dressed. Then I put my first pair of, uh, pair of lightweight set lock gloves on. Then when I get to the stand, I get all set up. I get up there. Kind of hard not to break a little bit of a sweat, even in the winter. Mm-hmm. Then the last thing I do is I peel those off, put those in a pocket, and then I put my, quote, hunting gloves on that don't have the sweat in them. Sure. And then now I'm ready to go. Yeah. Plus, I mean, you know, if your gloves are all sweaty, by the time you sit down, you're going to be cold. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then the, the scent lock boots and all that other stuff for walking in. Well, I'll tell you, rub, rubber boots are a game changer. Mm-hmm. Um, Big time. Yeah. You know, when I first started hunting, I was using military combat boots, mm-hmm. which are garbage. Right. Right for both hunting and keeping you warm, and then I started switching over to insulated like pack boots, things like that, which are great for keeping your feet warm, but not great for scent because they're usually right. leather. They hold scent. Sure. And then as soon as they started making those really higher level insulated boots with like you know the sixteen hundred grams of insulate, two thousand grams of insulate, those things not only keep your feet pretty darn warm, but they're rubber boots. They don't hold any scent whatsoever. Right. Plus, if you got to walk across a creek, then me, your feet are not going to get all wet. Yep, that's true. And you also find out if you got any leaks in your boots real fast. Yeah, you find that out really fast, especially in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think the, the pair of boots I just retired last year, that one little creek that we cross yeah. over in that one area, yeah. I, uh, I'm walking across and about halfway across, I'm, I stop and I'm like, kind of wiggling my toes and I'm like, oh, I got a leak in my boot. Yeah. Damn it. I got to buy new boots here <laughs> next week. Uh, yeah. And then walk in. <laughs> it's funny when we walk in. It's like five steps, stop, five steps, stop, five steps, stop, look around. And then that one time when we had the, it was full moon and the deer was like standing right there looking at us. Yeah. Uh-huh. And stuff. And we didn't, he didn't, he didn't bust us. Yeah. You got to stop, listen. You know, and, and deer see better at night than we do, but they're not like, you know, they're not ninja. Yeah, exactly. They, 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 it's dark for them too, right? Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. The the thing I'm going to try to focus on more this year is carrying less stuff into the woods. Yeah. Because I usually go into the woods with the mindset of any emergency can happen. Mm-hmm. Be ready for it. Yeah. And that usually translates. You carry a lot more stuff in there, like emergency stuff, if you get hurt and stuff. Than yeah. I do. And like so, so this year I want I want to try to think about. 
a small first aid kit, always a great idea, mm -hmm. right? right? And then obviously you've got your headlamp, so you can see a small knife, a GPS you can navigate with, and that might be about it. Mm -hmm. That might be about it. In years past, I'm carrying like an emergency bivy shelter in case, like I'm thinking worst case scenario is, let's say I fall out of my tree stand, and we should talk about that story here in a second, <laughs> and I break my leg and I can't get out of the woods that night, I'm gonna take my emergency bivy out and I'm gonna pull it over me and I'm gonna stay warm right. and have some shelter to help confine me or something. Sure. And so, but, but you end up carrying 25 pounds of stuff into the woods. Yeah. And then somebody asks like, has that ever happened? You're like, never once. So, and then if you think about it, in most areas we hunt, walk in any direction for an hour and you're gonna hit a house, a road, something where you can sure. probably get help, right? Mm -hmm. So this year I wanna to try to go with the basics. A headlamp so I can see, a knife, that's just a good idea to have one. Right, right. My GPS, which in theory, if you have a GPS, you should never get lost in the woods ever. Sure. Right? I've used the go-to function to find a single tree in the middle of the woods, which obviously is thousands of trees. Sure. I found a tree one time and I said, this would be a perfect tree to hunt. I marked the location, saved it as like tree number one. Turn and three months later, it's time to go hunt that tree. I'll literally turn my GPS on, hit go to tree number one, and it'll say go. And I'm walking through the woods, pitch black dark, four in the morning, three in the morning, following the arrow. And all of a sudden it says, you've arrived. And I'll look up and I'll go, there it is. There's the tree. Wow. Yeah, I mean, they're pretty accurate, and it'll get me right back to the to the base of a tree I found four months before that that I thought would be a great spot to hunt. Yeah, I hate walking in with the headlamp on in the dark because it's tunnel vision. <laughs> and then that one time when I came across the horse <laughs> in the hunting area, <laughs> that would uh, that would put me off from hunting for a while if I came face to face with a. With yeah, a horse. so the horse got out of the farm next door, and it's like. I'm walking along. I, I literally, because this horse has reflective eyes and it looks huge. I thought it literally looked like a demon deer that was going to get revenge on me for all for all of its kin that I've killed. <laughs> <laughs> it scared the crap out of me because I, I was looking down and all of a sudden I'm looking up and I, I couldn't have been two feet away from his face. And it just scared the crap out of me. You know, you know I think that would have scared the crap out of anybody. And uh, like I said, that's something you almost replay in your mind. You're laying on the couch later, you know, and yeah. you're just like, oh, that was terrifying, right? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, and it's interesting, all this talk about gear, uh, you know, like, like people think you need hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of gear to hunt. And, and I always tell people, I go like, like people have asked me, you know, just like, you know, if I wanted to get into hunting, what do I need? Right. And I'm like, one, you just need the desire to get out there. Yeah. Right. That's the number one thing. And you got to try. And just get out there and do it. Right. Because I should remind myself of this because all the nonsense talk about double bathing and all this other stuff. I said, look, Native Americans, frontier people killed a lot of deer to survive. And those people showered once a month if hey. you're lucky. Your grandpa didn't have camo on. He was standing there with a plaid jacket on. Exactly. Right. Smoking. Right. right. <laughs> had, his, had his Elmer Fudd outfit on. Yes, and, Elmer you know, Fudd. The common sense part of my brain knows I probably don't need to do all those things. Again, Native Americans, Frontiers people, they didn't shower as regularly as we have showered. They certainly didn't have deodorant, and they killed enough deer to survive for generations. For right, right. Millennia, right? Mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, I look at it more of like an insurance policy because you and I have both been in situations where you're up in your stand, everything's going great, and then there's that little wind shift. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's insurance against the wind shift because I know I've had deer walking towards my stand. I'm, I'm on the right side of the wind from them. And then all of a sudden you get that little swirl and your scent kind of yeah. gets down to them. Especially right at dawn. Right, right at dawn, it either shifts or it picks up. Right, and exactly. Like, and then it just invariably half the time it'll shift. Sometimes I'll hunt a spot I probably shouldn't hunt uh-huh. because I have a lot of confidence in my in my scent control. Yeah. So I'm gonna say, look, I've double showered, I use the Rubbermaid gloves, right. I've got 18 layers of scent lock, I should own stock and scent lock, right? <laughs> I've got yeah. A double face mask on. Yeah. Um, and I, I, and I, I don't. I don't go that hardcore. But you know, and, I, and so I'll, I'll go. You know what? The wind is absolutely wrong for that stand, but I've got technology on my side. Uh, so, technology. So I'm going to go me. into the woods there, and uh, wind be damned. I'm, I'm going to just hunt it anyway. And I'll be honest with you. Sometimes the bad behavior gets rewarded, <laughs> and I'll have deer come downwind of me. Right where they should immediately go. Hey, there's a person here, and right. run. Right. And when I see that, I go, send control. And I shoot him, and I go, oh, I can, I can be lazy and have bad habits next time. Uh-huh. When the reality is, it was probably a little bit of luck, and I should never have been in that spot. Two years ago, we have that early, early rifle season for the one weekend, right in October. And you, <laughs> I, I was on, I was on vacation, and you uh, walked into the woods. You overslept. <laughs> right <laughs> and so you walked into the woods at like nine or something right uh oh yeah it was like i was tired i don't know what i had done the night before but i, I was i was sleeping and i was thinking to myself like so i have a ritual i always sleep on the couch the night before a hunt because my bed's too comfortable i want to be uncomfortable because it's easier to get up the process failed that morning and so plus, you know my wife is pretty comfortable and so she'll try to lure me into staying in bed yeah and so uh so i so i i am like it's one of those things where i can see the light coming up and i'm thinking just get up go hunt and the other part of my brain is like no you're fine just stay in bed mm-hmm. finally the right part of my brain won the argument and i said all right i'm getting up i'm going to go because the hunting variation of wayne gretzky saying you miss 100 percent of the shots you never take you can't kill them from the couch. Right. Right. You got to be out in the woods. And so I'm driving out there and the whole time I'm like, this is so stupid. You're never going to, it's like literally nine o'clock. Like it's so late. So I park, I get dressed the whole time. I'm thinking this is a complete waste of time. I walk across this field. It's almost self-defeating because instead of sneaking across the field, I'm casually strolling because why not? You're not going to see any deer anyway. Right. So I invest the extra time in the, into trying to stalk and be, be cautious. I take one foot or one step into the woods and I look up and I see a couple of deer's ears bobbing down the trail coming right at me. And so my first thought isn't like a deer. My first thought is you gotta be kidding me. Like this behavior should not be rewarded. Like you gotta be kidding me. So I kind of squat down and right as I squat down, he picks his head up and looks at me and I'm looking at it and I'm looking over the scope, trying to find it. It's still kind of dark, right? And both of us are staring at each other. He's trying to figure out what I am. I'm trying to find him in the scope before he figures out what I am. Right. I take the shot, put it down. My wife actually came out and cleaned her first deer that day. That was the first deer she ever cleaned. 
But the whole time, all I could think to myself is, that was piss poor behavior that should never have been rewarded. <laughs> that's like never. the guys. That's like the guys on uh, the first weekend of rifle season, where we go out. We go out there at four o'clock in the morning. We're in the tree by five o'clock in the morning. It doesn't get light until eight, and then Bumpkin Bob comes wandering into the field, <laughs> and you could see him about. 50 miles before that, smoking. Right, smoking, right? exactly. And then he comes wandering, just crashing through, and then you're like, crap. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and when you when you hunt early, you think like, uh, like, like early on in your career, you think, well, that's it, my hunt's ruined. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and you and I both, both learned this lesson together, then you realize, you know what? That guy may actually work to my advantage mm-hmm. because deer obviously see him. Right. They don't see me because I got here early and did it right. Sure. And so in the deer's attempt to swing wide around that person and maybe come downwind of them so they can kind of get... Because he keeps moving. Yeah. And right. they want to get a, a nice nose full of what's going on so they can confirm what they think they see. Mm-hmm. Some Sometimes I've seen these types of yahoos will actually drive deer right in front of you, you know? And I remember one time hunting over here where your exact story, a guy comes walking through wearing white sneakers, white sneakers, and he didn't have a gun, he had a bow, but if you can remember the old Elmer Fudd cartoons where he had the shotgun and he's kind of very like, and he's kind of looking around and spinning, he's literally got a bow in his hand with his hand like this on the string, Uh like he's ready to pull it back at a moment's notice, and he's stalking Elmer Fudd style, wearing jeans, a jean jacket, and white sneakers. Wow. And I remember this was the day I learned this lesson. My immediate reaction was, ah, screw this guy. Like, what kind of clown goes out in the middle of the afternoon, an hour before sunset, prime time for deer movement, and this clown's walking around in white tennis shoes that if I can see him 400 yards away, I'm sure the deer can. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, no I saw, scent control whatsoever. Oh, scent. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, I could, I, I could probably smell the guy from there. And then all of a sudden, some movement caught my eye, and I looked back behind him on his trail, and there was a buck. And the buck absolutely was watching every move this guy was made. But as he p- picked his way through the woods with his white Reeboks on and his jean jacket and jean shorts like he was you know, getting ready to go to the, to the roller rink or something. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm watching this deer start just circle around him. Guy's oblivious to what's going on, but I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to push this deer right in front of me. And as the deer made the loop and tried to circle in and, and, and you know, it was, the whole time was aware of what this guy was and what he was doing, he ended up putting that deer right in front of me and I shot him. That was the day I learned, if you see somebody in the woods, don't immediately start cursing and yeah. throw your gear down and think your hunt's ruined. Sure. Be a little patient because you'd be surprised. I'm sitting in my stand. I hear a nice steady crunch and I'm thinking game on. And it's like 4.30. Right. So what, 40 minutes of daylight left, right? In the afternoon. Yeah, in the afternoon. And I hear a steady crunch, and I'm thinking, game on. This is it. I finally turn and kind of look down, and there's a hunter almost right underneath my stand. Doesn't see me. He proceeds to hook up his stand, and he starts <laughs> climbing. The tree was a little, just a little bit further than arm's reach from the tree I was at. And, and so I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I'm just going to let this guy climb up the tree. Like, and I was kind of upset. So the guy... Climbs up the tree, gets all settled in, and I remember this. He's facing the tree because he's got a climber, right? Right, right, right. And he 
turns away from the tree. To sit down? Settles into a spot to sit down. Makes eye contact with me and his whole body language just, oh, I can't believe it. And I just look at him. He stands up and he starts to, like, he's going to start climbing down. And I just went, you know what? Don't worry about it. I said, I'm leaving. I was so frustrated. This is before I learned the lesson, though, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, granted, you know, uh, so, so change gears. Have you ever told the story of, like, one of your first tree stand hunts? So we go down. I bought this tree stand, and I got the cheap one. Mistake. This thing was had a really wide V, and it was made for the trees that are out on the East Coast that are big old oak trees, right? None of the trees around here are like that. So there was like only two teeth that were actually making contact with the t- tree. So I'm back in the woods. You're in the field. You've got a decoy, right? We were trying the decoy out, and I'm climbing, and I'm I've got the harness on. Thank goodness. And the whole thing gives out underneath me and crashes to the ground. Both both parts. I come down to the end of the the end of the harness and smack my face into the tree and get a mild concussion. So then I'm like, I'm stuck up here in the tree like 15 or more feet. How am I gonna get down? And if I get down, am I gonna fall fall on top of my tree stand that just crashed down to the ground because I can't see it. Right. I think my headlamp fell off too. So I'm sitting there and then I had to shimmy down out of my harness without choking myself because I couldn't get down because the harness is up above my head and I couldn't get up to get it. And I just sat with my back up against the tree until until light. But you took a pretty big drop though out of there though, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I dropped yeah, I dropped yeah. quite a ways. I didn't get hurt from the drop, but I was like woozy because I smacked my face up against a tree. I had a real bad black eye for right. a month. <laughs> so now I'll tell the same story from my perspective. Right. So I'm sitting in my stand and I hear this huge crash. And it's, you know, an hour before light, right? Right. I hear this huge crash and my first thought is, well, be quiet. And so five, ten, whatever it was, twenty minutes later, I hear another crash. That the second one being you hitting the ground, right? Yeah, that wasn't and, so bad though. Yeah, but but I could hear it, right? Right. And I'm thinking, still, you're making all kinds of noise. So the sun comes up, a few hours go by, and I decide, all right, I think this morning's a bust. So I get that out of my. Yeah, stand. hours go by. Yeah. Oh right? yeah. I mean, this was, is before dawn. Yeah, yeah. This was. I mean, this was like probably ten o'clock. I mean, so yeah, yeah you've yeah. been like five hours at least, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I get down out of my stand and I start walking towards where I think you are. I don't know exactly where you are. I just kind of knew you were off in that corner somewhere. And I remember the very first thing I see is you on the ground, and I'm thinking to my. So I, I come walking up and I see you sitting on the ground. And I'm th- my first thought was, oh, he already decided to get down out of the tree. And then for whatever reason, I looked up and I see your harness still attached to the tree. And I think, and, and for a minute, I didn't quite connect the dots. And I look at you and I look at the harness in the tree and I look back down at you and I can now see you're kind of bruised up and your face is all bruised. And I was like, did you fall out of the tree? And you were like, oh yeah. <laughs> And you were like, absolutely I did. And I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? And you were like, and you explained the story. You're like, well, the stand gave way and I was kind of hanging there. And I was like, and then I hit my head really hard, you know, on the thing. And I remember my, my favorite part of you telling the story was the dramatic pause. You were like, so I hit my head on the tree. 
And then when I regained consciousness, <laughs> and I remember going, wait a minute, you lost consciousness? And you're like, well, I mean, not fully, but yeah, I was out for a second there. I, I was pretty dazed. And I'm thinking like, well, wait, hold on. Well, then what happened? And you're like, well, I was, after I regained consciousness, I was kind of hanging there and I'm like, well, you know, what am I gonna do? And so I was like, why don't you just yell for help? And I remember you're like, why don't I want to ruin your hunt? <laughs> that, that's the classic. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, then what happened? And you're like, well, I was kind of like hanging there for a while. And I realized, well, I had to do something. Yeah, the blood so, was cutting off on my yeah. legs. And so I, so, I just, so I got out of my harness and I, I just had to kind of just, just drop and just jump for it. And I was like, oh, that must have been the second thud I heard was you hitting the ground. And you're like, yeah. And so I think you hit the ground and actually kind of rolled a little bit because uh -huh. there was like a little bit of a, of, uh -huh. a, of a decline there into some bushes. And I said, oh, that explains the second sound I heard, you know, the second crash after the first one. And you were like, yeah. And I said, well, what did you do then? And he said, well, you know, I was kind of dazed and I was, wasn't feeling great and I didn't want to ruin your hunt. So I just sat up against the tree and I went. Wait. I think then we established a rule though. If you get hurt, yell. <laughs> you know, another valuable lesson to be learned there is invest in good gear if you can yeah. afford it. We went out and you shot this massive buck. And then we tracked it forever and ever and ever. I still don't understand how that thing had that much blood because it yeah. was like forever. And then we got busted for being on private <laughs> land. <laughs> and then we said, no, no, we came from over here. And he goes, yeah, that was private land, too. That's my brother's land. <laughs> yeah. You know, and the funny thing, I mean, it was on public land. And, and, and but the, I mean, you know, in the end, in all fairness to, to, to us, the border was, I mean, it was, well, not yeah. only was it right there, we were using like the state provided sort of like game land maps mm -hmm. and they're not precise. Sure. And so they give you these general approximations and so when you look at where the sign is that says private property and the or, sign the sign that said you're exiting public land was only as big as a sandwich and if, correct me if i'm wrong but it was kind of also facing the wrong way yeah like it was yeah it wasn't our fault yeah i mean it definitely wasn't our I mean, fault we, we we hunted there for years yeah but you know but that and that's the funny thing is i, I hunted there for so many years never had a problem which kind of just reinforces that this must be okay right and uh, and then and I even I was like confident. I was like, look, I'm going to show you on the map. And I remember, remember the guy saying like, well, you know, that map isn't exact. My property line's actually right here, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you know, you never want to trespass on somebody's property. But I think the real lesson the lesson to be learned that day was give your deer time because we would have found it if we had not not rushed it. Yeah, that's one thing I, I will say. In 35 years of hunting, I'm still not good at that. Waiting long enough for the deer to settle down. Yeah, right? I just like the adrenaline gets going, yep. and and what feels like a light. Like you read stories about guys that will shoot deer, and they'll go off, go home, have lunch, clean the garage, come back in eight hours. Sure. I remember shooting a deer last year. He came walking across a field. I shot him at maybe like twenty yards, and he started tearing off. And I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna sit back. I think I probably texted you like, hey, I just hit one, take off my gloves, take off my face mask, sit back, relax. What probably felt like three hours to me was more like 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, okay, it's, it's go time. Like, let's go find that deer. 
And most people are like, 30 minutes is no, no, no. you got to give it an hour, two hours, right? Yeah. I mean, if you really think you confidently like double lunged it, maybe 30, 45 minutes is enough, right? But you got to be really confident your right. shot was Because otherwise you'll just keep pushing them. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'm still, at, like, I'll probably die or retire out of hunting never being good at that one aspect of hunting. I just, I get that adrenaline rush and I just want to get out there. I want to find that deer as quickly as I can. Yeah. In a lot of cases, if you were just to sit down and do nothing, you'd probably find it no more than 50 to 100 yards from you. Sure. Man, now I'm all pumped up. Now I want to go hunt. Thank you for listening to the Thrive in the Future podcast. If you like what you hear, click that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast app. Also, check us out at thriveinthefuture.com and join our conversation on Twitter at thriveinthefute or join our Telegram channel. Simply go to the Thrive in the Future website. On the right sidebar, there's a link to the Telegram channel. This episode was produced by Scott Miller, copyright 2022, thriveinthefuture.com. Next time on Thrive in the Future podcast. So as the Triumph song says, the days grow shorter and the nights are getting long. It seems like we're running out of time. Talking about foraging, as well as a look back at the 2022 season, what worked and what didn't. Join us at the Homestead Journal in living out the classic homesteading ethos on the path towards a simple life that speaks to the heart of humanity. We're an online community embodying and helping our members develop an indestructible homesteading mindset. Become someone who adds walk to the talk and applies proven old world protocols in a modern context. Find us at thehomesteadjournal.net and follow us at thj.net on Twitter.